Hello and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches and with me is Aaron Galloway, who's Associate Director of Publicity and Marketing at Penguin. Aaron sat down with me to talk about publicity and marketing and promotion and how they're different, what books Penguin is really excited about this summer and what books she's reading right now. Not all Penguin titles, interestingly enough. This podcast interview grew out of the fact that Penguin is the new sponsor of the podcast for the next few months. Yay! Thank you, Penguin. There is nothing random about that, Penguin. If you don't know what that is, the Penguin and Random House just merged, and they didn't call it Random Penguin, which many people in the internet, including me, are disappointed about. But Penguin is the new sponsor for the podcast, and they do have something they'd like me to tell you about. This podcast is brought to you by Berkeley Books, publisher of Maya Banks' sexy new KGI book, Forged in Steel, available wherever books are sold. The music that you're listening to was provided, as always, by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the show about who this is and what you're listening to, and we can all talk about how awesome it is. And now, on with the podcast. I am here with Erin Galloway, who does lots and lots of things. And I've known you for eight years now, seven years yeah, right around that. A really long time. Erin used to be a publicist at Dorchester before it sank to the bottom of the ocean. And now she is a publicist at Penguin and she gets to work with all the awesome people. So exactly what does a publicist do? Because I actually think there's some confusion between publicity, marketing, and promotion. And I think that oh, those three yes. terms get confused a lot. So tell me in your awesome verbiage, what does a publicist do? And specifically, what do you do? Very good question. And there is a lot of confusion about the differences. Isn't there? It's weird. Now, the good thing about being a publicist is that no day is the same. So I can tell you that my job varies from day to day. Uh, One thing that never varies is that it's exciting. Um, because it's always changing and there's always something new to do. But some of the regular tasks or um, responsibilities that I have are to get, you know, publicity coverage, uh, any kind of coverage for my authors. And this coverage, uh, publicity, is free. That's the simplest difference that I can explain between publicity, marketing, and promotion. Any kind of publicity you get is free. That means a book review, an interview, a feature on an author or book, a mention in a reading roundup. Any of those things do not cost money. And that's true whether it is on television, uh, in a newspaper, on a blog, that's free coverage. So that involves me pitching my author, you know, the book, an idea that I have to an actual human being, getting them to agree that what I'm saying is awesome and that they should want to cover this book or these books that I am pitching them on. So as you might imagine, that's a little bit more challenging than saying, hey, I have 10 grand to spend. Will you book an ad? Um, That is has its own challenges, of course, but it is different than trying to seek out free attention for the books that you work on. Do you ever actually get somebody to say to you, hey, Aaron, here's 10 grand, go promote this book. Is that, and does that ever happen to you? Or do you rely on your network of reviewers and bloggers and media contacts and your very extensive lists of who covers what types of books? 
For me, it is all about the contacts that I have. Uh, I've recently moved into a new position here at Penguin where I am taking on some additional marketing duties. So that does allow me to spend a little bit of money, but not on the publicity side. Um, the only time that publicity really spends money is if we send an author on tour. And that's a pretty and, rare thing nowadays, right? That doesn't happen a lot. I very rarely see authors go out on tour sponsored by their that's publisher. That's right. That's right. Tours, you know, some years ago, really well over 10 years ago now, were sort of a staple of book publishing and the way that we've promoted. But again, over 10 years ago, though we certainly had the internet, it was not the one of the primary ways that people looked for book recommendations. Whereas today, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an average reader who does not check out the book online, recommendations online, reviews before purchasing something. That's yes, true. We all, we all browse in the bookstore, but I even see people whip out their iPhone while in a bookstore aisle to see what people are saying about the book online before they actually bring it to the cash register. Totally. You know, and how many of us love being able to download a book at 2 a.m. when we finish the first one in the series and we just can't wait to buy the second. It's you know true. what happens. Um, so anymore, yes, we still do tours, but they are, you know, rare. They just are. Um, there really has to be the right audience, the right book. Everything sort of has to align for a tour to be worthwhile for both the author and the publisher. So for me, when it comes to coverage, it is very much about working with a network of people, reviewers and media contacts that I know, and pitching them on books that I think not only will they be interested in, but their audience will be interested in. And that's the important thing for a publicist to keep in mind. You're not just convincing one person that they want to read a book or check out a new author. You're convincing them that their audience, whoever that may be, whether it's a readership that is reading a newspaper, uh, watching a television show, news program, or coming to a particular blog on a regular basis, you're convincing that person, the gatekeeper for their medium, that their audience will be interested in this author and in this book. And you know, because I do it with you, that uh, I can't be very convincing, but I really try to pick the things that I believe you will find interesting and exciting and appropriate for your audience. So you have to do a considerable amount of research when you are developing your, your list and your collection of people who you match to genres and specific topics. You have to do a lot of research in advance to figure out which books should be sent to which people. And it's not just sort of a throw it at the wall and see what sticks approach. You're actually channeling different genres into different series of contacts. How big of a spreadsheet is this? Does it fit on a hard drive? <laughs> Have you it, thought about selling it? You could like retire to the Bahamas. Oh, I probably could. That's a good thought. I don't think my <laughs> boss would appreciate it though. <laughs> um, well, we have a huge database 
and we work really hard to keep it updated. Um, bloggers that have already worked with us are probably used to seeing that on a somewhat regular basis, we'll check in with them and say things like, so, you know, how are you enjoying the romantic suspenses that we've sent you? Um, do you still want to continue reviewing those? Is there anything else that you're interested in? And when someone sends me an email that, you know, they may think is just one of those sort of brief offhand, oh, Aaron, I really liked that contemporary romance that you sent me. It was really sassy had very witty humor. I'd love to see more things like that. To them, that may be a very offhand comment. To me, that's a, ooh, note to self. They are interested in this type of book. If I haven't already sent them Julie James, be sure to do so yes. in the future. Um, you know, that sort of thing occurs where I make notes. Um, I talk to the other folks on my team and say, this blogger is interested in this. If we haven't sent them this author or this book or this series, make a note that we have to do that again. When I get someone that says, oh, I'm interested in books set in this region, I make a note of that. It all goes into the database so that when we are pulling lists or looking at who to pitch, we know. Um, for example, a year and a half ago, our list of reviewers and bloggers and media contacts that were specifically interested in very sexy or erotic romance um, was modest, I would say. It was a modest list. They were very engaged reviewers and fans of the genre, but I couldn't usually pitch um, some of the more what I would call mainstream romance readers um, and, you know, bloggers and reviewers, they typically steered away from erotic romance, whether they simply weren't interested in the subject matter, had not found a particular author or series that they had really fallen in love with and thus opened them up to more books. Um, like I said, modest list. However, with everything that's happened in the last, you know, 15 or so months with Sylvia Day's Crossfire series, with Maya Banks' rapid rise um, as a result of the Breathless trilogy and the popularity of her KGI series, and Beth Carey's Because You Are Mine, all of the sudden reviewers, bloggers, media contacts that previously had not really considered erotic romance to be something that they would want to cover are now interested in this type of subgenre. So it's been amazing. That list has probably been the most rapidly, uh, you know, rapid list to grow for us. And we're thrilled about it because we've been publishing these books for years, have gotten good review coverage for them and have had good sales, which is why we've kept the line going. But as a result of all of the attention on contemporary romance, erotic romance, we've just been able to increase that coverage. And that's amazing for us and for sales, certainly, but amazing for these authors' careers. And that's part of what we do is build careers. So it's been really exciting for me to be at the forefront of that along with the authors and being able to seek out you know, new and different opportunities that we couldn't have in the past. Absolutely. And the the number of bloggers has increased almost daily. There's new blogs about books. And not only are there more people who are able to say, okay, I really like contemporary erotic fiction, but I don't like romantic suspense. We, we now have a language that we can use to communicate with you that 
makes each of us understand what kind of books we're talking about. And one of the things that I think Fifty Shades did really well was that it gave a language to people to, to, who could then say, I like reading about extremely emotionally intense stories with a very high level of sexual content. And I've had people email me and say, I just discovered I really like reading books with sex in them. And I'm like, welcome to romance because we have some of that. <laughs> we have some yes. books for you. We now have a common language. And the more that the publicists and bloggers talk to each other and the more readers talk to other readers, we are able to, as a group, sort of define what the different subgenres are called because contemporary romance houses – Romance is about people starting over when they're in their 40s and have gotten a divorce yes. or widows. There's young people who are just starting out, which we call new adult. And then there's yes. contemporary erotic. And then there's contemporary that's set in the city. And then there's contemporary that's small town. And those are all different things, yes. you know. That's so we right. are now able to define what it is that we like and are able to talk about it as a type, not just as a book, which is a huge amount of progress, I think, because – if you're sending if correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you're sending books to a media outlet, you're sort of like, here's all the things we have because you work for the newspaper and I'm hoping you grab one of these 30 books. Yes. Enjoy. Yes. But with, with bloggers, you'd be like, you like romantic suspense, but you do not. So none of this for you, but I know you like this. So I'm going to send you that. You have a much more targeted approach. How do you evaluate right. bloggers and how do you evaluate a site to add it to your giant database of awesomeness? Well, this is a good question because so many people ask me that on a regular basis. And the truth of the matter is, in order for us to send someone either a physical book or a widget to download an electronic galley, you know, via NetGalley, mm -hmm. um, you have to have a good audience. I think everyone understands that as a publisher, part of what we want to do is sell books and make money. Wait, That's you want to make business. money? Yeah. You want to make money? Really? I'm shocked. I'm know, shocked and appalled. Shocking? I'm shocked and appalled. I imagine that you would like to be paid and have benefits. God, yes. Some people. That, that <laughs> is one of the great things about my job, being paid and having benefits. Very true. Um, but, you know, it's funny because I think everyone has a different perception of how this works. Yes, and of the course. Truth is that we do not send free books out sort of willy-nilly. Um, number one, it's not good business sense. And number two, you know, I don't want to send out any books that are not going to reach their intended audience. That is why I do a lot of research to find out who potentially is going to be interested in these. And from there, when I look at these blogs, I want to see that they have a considerable audience, people that regularly come to the blog, whether they subscribe to an RSS feed are a friend of the blog, you know, via Google Friend Connect or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. I just want to know that this blogger really has people, individual people, um, that come to the blog on a regular basis to hear what they have to say, because that means that these are typically like-minded readers interested in the content, interested in what this blogger is interested in. Therefore, if this blogger talks about the books that I'm publicizing, you know, and says, oh, I really liked this, or oh, this was great, or, you know, check out what this author is doing, then these readers are far more likely to go find that author's website or pick up that author's book in the bookstore or download it to their e-reader. Um, I want to make sure that people are seeing what this blogger is talking about. On the other hand, if you have a blogger that 
maybe has just started out or for whatever reason has not developed a solid base of readers. You know, I, I sort of make this joke, but sadly it's true. If only your mom and your cat are following your blog, then I don't have a lot of opportunity to get attention for my authors and their books. It's just so funny to me. You know, I, I make that silly, you know, joke because when I say it that way, a lot of people understand what I mean. Yes, of when course. When you have a, a very small network, it just doesn't make as much sense for us to send you books. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that you can't build your audience, and you certainly can. In fact, I work with a number of bloggers now that originally contacted me a year ago, two years ago, sometimes only six months ago. And at the time, you know, they didn't have a big audience. And I said to them, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for reaching out, doing so in a professional manner. You don't have the audience yet that allows for me to send you books, but I hope that you'll stay in touch. And as you grow your audience, let me know so that in the future, you know, hopefully we can work together. And that has happened numerous times where a blogger comes back and says, Aaron, I'm so excited. I have this many followers now. This is what I'm doing. I'm reviewing this often. I hope you'll reconsider. And if they meet all of what I'm looking for, audience posting regularly, um, you know, positive attitude about the genre and willing to, you know, work in a professional manner with me, then I'm happy to add them to our database of awesomeness. And in fact, <laughs> I'm excited to do so because While everybody's bookshelf, I think, is infinite, we always have space and time to read more books, you know, whether it's staying up till two in the morning to do it or sneaking in time on your lunch break, whatever that means. The fact of the matter is that, you know, there is a sort of finite space amount when it comes to how often you can blog and how many posts you can do in a day because we are only human and your readership is only human. You have to be realistic about, you know, what they're going to want to see and how often. So, I do recognize that, you know, if I, even if I pitch to a group of, you know, 100, 150 bloggers for one book, and usually it's segmented, you know, a little bit more than that, where I expect that not all of those people will respond, you know, that's okay. But when I'm able to add additional people to my kind of stable of folks that I go to on a regular basis, that just increases the opportunity for coverage. There's new people popping up every day. Um, I certainly saw that after 50 Shades and, you know, and Bared to You as well. Just all of these bloggers that had really discovered reading again, you know, as a result of the books that were coming out. They tried 50 Shades. Maybe they tried Sylvia Day as well. And they said, you know what? I really love these emotionally intense stories. And hey, I like reading about women who get to enjoy their sex lives and feel confident about it. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing. And I'm so glad that we've gained more readers, more reviewers, more bloggers as a result of that. I mean, it's incredible. It's true. I'm, I'm just happy about that. So for me, it's a good thing when we want to add these additional people to the database. You know, I I think that sometimes everyone on the outside looking into publishing thinks that we do not like to add on new reviewers and, oh, maybe they won't want to work with me. And that's not true. We love meeting new people. We love bringing people into the fold because it just means more opportunities for our authors to be seen and heard and recognized for the great books that they produce. Absolutely. I was once getting a 
pedicure and two women in the chairs ahead of me in front of me that were all sort of in a line on the wall were talking to each other about what they were reading and they were having a conversation about Fifty Shades and then Bared to You. And they were talking about how what they loved about the books and they all of the things that they didn't like or the things that I didn't like, but they loved them. And they're, and, and they're sitting there and the woman says, oh, my gosh, Bared to You? Thank you. I just bought it. Like when you tell somebody about a book, they're going to buy it right then. So yes. having the ability to turn everyone into a bookseller and have everyone be a bookstore is only a good thing if you're going to add more readers to your list so that you have the ability to talk to them and turn everyone everyone in the world onto a book that they're all going to be able to buy right now. It's so exciting when that happens. So tell me what books you're really interested in this summer. Like what are you reading? What are you promoting? Is there any overlap there? And what are you really, really excited about working on? Oh, sure. Well, you know, I have to confess that most of the books I read are published by Penguin. That is true. Um, part of that is, yes, because I work here and I can get as many books as I want for free. Um, part of that also, though, is because we have such a huge list and it is so easy um, to read almost everything that I want from here. I do, however, read outside of Penguin, of course, because that's what I am, a reader. So uh, we don't publish everything that I like to read, but we publish a lot. So I'll start out with the Penguin books. Um, I have been loving Maya Banks' Breathless Trilogy, and I am one of the folks that, of course, got to read it very, very early since I publicize it. So I'm really excited about her book, Burn, that's coming up in August. It's the third in the trilogy. I'm just, I'm so excited about everything she did with the series, because for me, it's one of the things that I just really love and respond to in a book. It's these very, very alpha heroes. Um, they are men that maybe I wouldn't date in real life, but when I read these books, I am swept away. I am swept away in this world where you have a very protective, very sexy alpha man whose only desire is to be around you, have you in his life, have sex with you often, and protect you. And you know what? At the end of the day, after we've all had a difficult day, and we just need a great way to unwind, to enjoy. This book is, you know, it's the fantasy. It's everything that you could want to escape with. And it's written in typical Maya Banks fashion. Very emotional, very sexy, very enjoyable. And uh, all the women in the series become close friends too, which I also love. I always love girlfriend friendships in books. So that's one that I'm very excited about. Uh, also on the emotional end, and with the word burn in the title, is uh, Lorelai James' Turn and Burn from her Blacktop Cowboy series. And I love cowboys. Come on, who does not? Tight jeans, spurs, cowboy hat, I'm there. Um, and this book is really fun because it's characters that we already know and have met before earlier on in the series. And she writes a lot of emotion in her books, but this one in particular resonated for me because our heroine Tana has just been through so much. Her father has remarried after her mother's passing, has moved to Florida, sold the only home she ever knew. She's had a terrible, terrible, tragic accident. Um, she was on the rodeo circuit. Her horse um, actually had to be put down as a result of the accident they had. So here she is. Her whole life is in shambles. She comes to her friend's uh, area, and she's just trying to kind of redefine her life again. And she meets this man who is 
you know, incredible, strong, very driven, very sexy, very focused on work. And the two of them sort of have to decide, are we going to try and make this happen? And if we are, is it going to be just for now or is it going to be permanent? It's very emotional, very, very sexy. The two of them could totally set a room on fire with their chemistry. Um, But you really can see how two people that have been through these different life experiences would kind of find one another and try and figure out how they're going to make it work. And that's one of the things that I love about erotic romance is sometimes I think that though the relationship intensity is a little bit different than it is in real life, some of the more real life aspects of how do you honestly make a relationship work uh, are in there. And they're a little bit different than other subgenres of romance because they tend to be hyper-focused on the hero and heroine. One thing that I have tried, or two books that I was going to say I've tried recently that I've been excited about. And, you know, I try to read authors that I have you know, never read before, but when I hear buzz, I want to test them out. So I'd heard so much about Alice Clayton. And when you see the cover of Wallbanger, I mean, you just want to read that book. So I did, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I love humor in books, and it's a real skill to be able to write humor. And when I read Wallbanger, I was very impressed because one of my favorite authors who writes really good, funny humor is Sandra Hill. And when I read Alice's books, you know, Wallbanger, I just thought, oh, this, this is what I really enjoy in a humorous book. It's got laughter, it's light, it's got heart, um, but it also deals with real, you know, honest contemporary subject matter and the struggles that women go through. And I just thought that was so fun. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, so that's, that's just great stuff. And before I conclude, I just have to say that I have just started Kristen Ashley's books and I'm having a lot of fun reading those as well. They're so like no Pringles. Su- you can't, you can't, people just oh. can't read one. They keep going. Exactly. I started with um, the first book and I think in the Dream Man series, and I want to say, well, I'm on Wild Man right now. I know that's the second book. So whichever came first, I started with that and I'm on Wild Man right now. I'm nearly done. And like you said, they are, they're like Pringles. You start and you just want to keep going because they are so much darn fun. The heroes are sexy. The heroines have a little bit of, you know, quirkiness like we all do. And I think we can picture ourselves, you know, in some of them in terms of uh, sort of being able to kind of burst out with anything at any moment because we have all said crazy things at one time or another. So that's what I love about her heroines. One of the great things about Ashley and her books don't always work for me. There are another number of things that make me a little bonkers. It was, it was a weird reading experience. And I said this before on the podcast, I read one and I could see the crack. I could see it. I could identify the crackalicious parts, but the crack didn't work on me. I could see it. It was just not effective. But one of the things yes. that she does so well is that she has a tremendously strong heroine voice. And since many of her books are first person point of view from the heroine, this is a distinctive personality that you are reading. It is not a very mellow, um, non-confrontational, vanilla, plain, easily identifiable person. This is a person with definitive opinions and a real distinct voice. So it's it's someone who could be very, very different from you, but you are interested yes. in what they have to say. And it's, it's, it's so different because I've unfortunately become very used to bland heroines, very bland heroines. One of the things you said that was interesting I want to ask you about was 
many of the books that are being published right now that are being promoted and that you're working on are the intense, emotional, um, somewhat angsty, alpha male, high erotic content. That seems to be the defining trend in a lot of contemporary fiction right now. What do you think will be the next trend? If you had to guess or if you had any idea of what's coming, what do you think will be the next thing that people are enchanted with and, and going after more and more and more? Because it seems to change more and more quickly. What do you think might be the next thing that grabs readers' attention? You do not have well, to be I, right. There's no expectation that you'd be right. No one's going to be like, you fail. Give me money. Oh, thank God. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> well, you know, it's still on the rise, and I think it's going to continue to evolve a lot more over the course of the next year. But I really think new adult is going to find its feet in new ways. New Adult started really just over a year ago, and I wholeheartedly believe that it started gaining popularity because it began online, and there was no shelf on Amazon.com or on Smashwords. Mm -hmm. You could call your book whatever you wanted to, as long as you gave it the right kind of tag and, uh, you know, put in your description what you wanted people, you know, to be clear on, you know, what the book was about, then they would find it. And, you know, in terms of us as a publisher, that's a little bit more challenging with physical books because they do have to go on a shelf and people have to know where to find them. You know, that's why there are sections in a bookstore. We may curse it occasionally because, you know, we expect the book to be in one place and it's actually another, but there has to be some sort of, you know, defining characteristics that allow you to put the book in a particular place. But when it comes to the online marketplace, there's a lot more fluidity. You can cross boundaries much more easily and all you have to do is type something into your search engine and boom, there it is. You can't do that in you know a physical bookstore as easily. So I do think that new adult is going to continue to grow and evolve. It obviously, you know, originally came out of, I think, sort of a marriage between the growth out of young adult mm-hmm. and what happens when you're making that transition to adulthood. It's very unsurprising to me that it wound up finding its feet with a lot of romance readers because what happens when you're just moving into adulthood? All of these big life decisions, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? You know, career-wise, what is that going to mean? How do I relate to my family now that I'm not necessarily following their rules or living under their roof? How do we redefine our relationship with me moving into adulthood? Um, And also very importantly, how do I relate to others around me, both in friendships and in romantic relationships? And that's such a common thread when we reach that 18 to 24 um, age range, because we all had relationships when we were in college or college aged. Um, some readers I know got married right out of high school. Some got married during college, some right after. Right. Uh, I, I have friends that, you know, did all of those options. So I think that this genre is probably going to find a lot of its home under the romance umbrella, because I think for younger readers, these books are aspirational. And I think for older readers, and I mean myself included, because I am over this age category, these books are somewhat nostalgic. You get to kind of remember what that time period was like. So I really think that this area 
of fiction is going to continue growing and evolving. I think we'll probably see it go from just folks in this 18 to 24 age category in contemporary, you know, very kind of heroin focused, maybe focused on a love story element as well. I think we'll start to see other things incorporated into that, maybe paranormal elements, could be, you know, dystopian, post-apocalyptic. My guess is that the one area we won't go to too heavily is probably historical. And, you know, you may ask, well, why? Why don't you think it will be I was just about to ask, why do you think that is? And for me, I think it's because we already have it. And what I mean by that is most romances classically were actually new adult romances, historically speaking. Because if you think about all the heroines in romance over really, I guess I would say 80s, 90s, into the early to mid 2000s, they typically ranged from age 17, maybe even 16, depending on how you were reading. We will forgive those early 1980s romance authors for going there. And (laughs) all the way up to, you know, 24, sometimes 25, very on the shelf at 25, obviously. So it's just inherent in that time period that you were having these move into adulthood situations so early in your life, number one, because your life expectancy was a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. And number two, because, you know, women had their coming out in their teen years, they were expected to be married often, you know, by 19 or 20, and usually married to gentlemen, sometimes significantly older than they were. So that's already been something that we certainly as romance readers have dealt with for a long long time. When I think about the first historical romances that I read, most of the heroines were 17 and 18 years old and their heroes were often close to 30, sometimes older. Now it's harder for me to relate to that now because I'm at close to the hero's age now. So I can't imagine being attracted to somebody um, that, you know, would be my younger sister or my little cousin. That just doesn't quite feel right to me. Mm -hmm. But I do remember when I was 15 and 16 reading these, that was fine, you know? And I think that that's one of the reasons that historical romance has aged up a little bit in more recent years, because it's easier for us as readers to relate to these characters when we really feel like they're adults and making fully informed adult decisions, even if those decisions are a little unique uh, for the time period, whether it be Regency, Victorian, what have you. Um, So I'm not as convinced that new adult will really go back too far in time. Sure, maybe we'll see some 1920 stuff, possibility. Um, But I imagine we're probably not gonna go to any Victorian or Regency set new adult novels, because I think that they sort of already exist in one form or another for us. One of the things that I, I think of when I, when I look at the new adult genre and how it has emerged is I actually see it as the heir of YA and the remains of Chicklet. Because if you think back to Chicklet mm-hmm. Contemporary, that was very much first person contemporary. Yes, Deep point yes. of view, the heroes were very mysterious they did not have the emotional angst and there seems to be a very strong thread of emotional trauma in a lot of new adult, but the, the chiclet books, if you remember reading them, they were about assuming the responsibilities of adulthood, but in a completely different economic setting, those were assuming the responsibilities of adulthood in a time and a, 
almost inheriting a great deal of wealth. They dealt with shopping and jobs and positioning. And so there was this, you know, everything's awesome. We have lots of money and now you're an adult. Go do something. So they dealt with a level of affluence that doesn't exist anymore in, in, in a That's global right. recession. So if you take the remains of chiclet and you marry them with the aging of young adult, you get this sort of upside down version of chiclet where the romance is more prevalent, the emotional growth, the emotional adulthood is more prevalent versus the, you know, the, the outward trappings of adulthood like job and, and, and responsibility and what the hell am I going to do with my life? Cause I just graduated college and I can't get a job. So I'm going to go live with my parents. This yes. sucks. That was the opposite of chiclet. And so there, there's the remains of one older genre that has not been popular in this country for a long time versus the growth of the readers of young adult who are still looking for that emotional intensity. What I find fascinating is that I, I get very, very emotionally wiped out if I read too many of that kind of book in a row. And I need like, I need the literary equivalent of um, chocolate and cotton candy and it's all going to be okay. Like I, I, I can't read that many ugly cry books in a row. It's just not good for my sinuses. So when I look at what's coming up, I'm like, oh, 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 historical in the Victorian time and no one ugly cries. Yes, I want to read that. It's, it, I have to balance it out. Too much ugly cry emotional contemporary and I just, I, I can't breathe. My sinuses are too full. So I oh, have, I completely understand. Yeah, it, 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 becomes, it becomes exhausting. So what are you reading right now? I am literally reading Kristen Ashley's Wild Man as we speak. I am very close to finishing it. I read it um, on the way in on the subway this morning. I will read it on the way home. And do not tell my boss this, but there's a very good possibility that I will stay up too late tonight finishing it. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I, 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 think it, I think it's okay if you stay up late because it's your job. What a shitty job you have, honestly. It's you know, terrible. it's such a trial. I get to read more books than most other human beings alive. And it's just awful. It really is. Yeah. I can't even tell you. So you, you really no, like I, your job. Oh, my God. I love my job. I mean, <laughs> I say this all the time. I really do. I get to read the books that I love and convince other people to love them, too, for a living. And, you know, it, I won't say that it takes a huge amount of convincing. It's just really more kind of getting through to every individual person and saying, knock, knock, I'm here and I have something exciting I want to share with you. Because you have to remember that they have a lot of other publicists knock, knocking on their door too. And not only that, they have lives just like everybody else. You know, they have a lot happening at work, at home, what have you. Some bloggers blog full-time, some don't. So I have to remember that, you know, each one of them has a lot of things that they're contending with. And I just want to kind of sneak in and plant the seed of some things that I think that they'll be interested in and then leave them to, you know, ultimately make that decision. I say all the time that I'm so fortunate to work in romance book publicity because I am always excited about the books that I work on. I don't have to fake anything. I can't imagine publicizing like, I don't know, cat food or something like that. I mean, that would be miserable. You know, number one, I don't have a cat, but number two, even if I did, how do you get excited about cat food? And yet there is some publicist out there, probably multiple publicists that have to promote cat food for a living. And I do not envy them, you know, whereas I feel like my job is fantastic because I just get to talk about books that I enjoy and why. So before we wrap up, I get to announce now that Penguin is sponsoring our podcast. Yay! Yes, we're 
we're so excited to do so. Yes, we're going to hear about books from Penguin for the next couple of months. You're going to tell me about books you're excited about. You're going to tell me about books you want to hear about. But I would love to end this podcast by opening up the opening up for questions for you. If I ask people to email me questions for you, would you be willing to come back in a future podcast and answer them? Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that. Excellent. And that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you again to Aaron Galloway for sitting down with me and to Penguin and Berkeley for sponsoring the podcast. They have some information they'd like me to share with you. So if you're ready, this is awesome. You should not miss Forged in Steel, the hot new KGI release by Maya Banks. And I can tell you all about the book because they were cool enough to give me a little background on it. And dude, this sounds kind of awesome. When the government can't handle a hostage or intelligence job, the KGI steps in. And team leader Steele, that's Steele with an E on the end, is a man on a mission until he's forced to take a chance on an irresistible and dangerous passion. Check out Maya Banks' steamy new addition to the New York Times bestselling KGI action romances, Forged in Steel, available wherever books are sold. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. You can follow her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Deviations Project. This song is called Celtic Frock or Celtic Frock, if you want to say it correctly. And that's Frock, F-R-O-C-K. Anyone with an accent thinking I'm saying naughty words, you are incorrect. I'll have information about where you can buy this particular track and about Deviations Project on the site. Future podcasts will include me going to RWA and attempting to make recordings in a quiet location, of which there are very few at RWA. And I hope to take questions. If you have ideas or suggestions or you want to ask Aaron a question, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. That's S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane podcast at gmail.com. And you can leave a message at our Google voice number, which is one two zero one three seven one dbsa Don't forget to leave your name and where you're calling from so we can work your message into an upcoming podcast. Wherever you are, Aaron and Jane and myself wish you the very best of reading. <laughs>